Hello, friends. Welcome to another episode of the Pacers Pod, where it's been, let's see, just, uh, I'm going to guess about five weeks or so since I recorded the last episode. Um, in the meantime, like I recorded right before Tyrese came back from his extended injury, uh, the game against the Lakers, where um, like all the all-star buzz was happening. Like Tyrese was announced as an all-star that game. Got a standing ovation from the crowd, which was pretty sweet. Congrats. I mean, like Tyrese obviously getting that all-star bid is huge, um, you know, for him and just for the organization as, 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 you know, as just like, hey, we got, we've got a 20, at the time he was 22, we got a 22-year-old all-star. Um but yeah, so that was like I had recorded my, that the last episode right before that game took place against the Lakers. Tyrese was coming back. Daniel Tice was about to p- start playing. Um, since then, there was uh, obviously the All Star break was in there, but we also had the trade deadline had passed. So on this episode, I want to get uh, my thoughts on the. I want to put out my thoughts on the trade deadline. Um, and then just kind of touch on, you know, some of the players um, and how they've been doing recently and just kind of some things that I've been seeing as I've been watching the games. But uh, I'm going to, you know, th- this was another, this was a, a longer break than, it's hard once you start letting a couple of weeks go by. Uh, I don't know. It's like, I just kind of, you just get out of a rhythm. So like, um, I, I recorded that last episode right before I went on vacation for a couple of weeks down in Florida. And, uh, you know, we were, we were with family um, and I wasn't, you know, I wasn't watching the games like I normally would. I was just kind of following along. Um, but then when I got home from Florida for a couple of weeks, like I binge watched all the, the games and I'm taking notes on these games, but then it's like it's old news and I don't know it was just hard to figure out like I don't know um I don't even really necessarily know why why I'm sharing this right now but basically it's just been it's a little longer than what I what I would have liked but I want to talk about the trade deadline for now um and you know there was a lot of hype going into this trade deadline and we thought you know um all year, you know, really, it was like maybe Turner's going to get traded, maybe Buddy Heald's going to get traded. Um, before the trade deadline, there was rumors, you know, Duarte was kind of in the talks, um, and it ended up just, you know, for the Pacers' sake, you know, we made one trade, and really, it wasn't even our trade to be made. We were we kind of just played third fiddle um, in the in the Phoenix Suns Milwaukee Bucks trade that sent. Um, Jay Crowder from Phoenix to Milwaukee. We basically just kind of greased the wheels on that trade and, and made it so that it, it went over pretty smoothly. In the in the that in the trade, um, so so basically like the activity level was super low on on in trade deadline for the Pacers. I would say. I mean, I think I think we we were kind of expecting maybe maybe a little bit more to happen on our end, but. Um, and it's, it's, it was reported, and, and Kevin Pritchard talked about it kind of in the post-trade tra- deadline um, 
press conference, you know, that they made offers for players. Um, it, if you, it sounds like, you know, we, we offered, we may have offered three first round draft picks for OG Ananobi, um, which, you know, maybe that, maybe that would have been good. It, Toronto didn't accept it. So, you know, that's fine. You know, we were out there, we we're out there looking to, to add serious pieces. Um, but ultimately that didn't, that didn't go through. And then we end up with just kind of playing this uh, filler role for the Bucks Suns trade. And um, what we ended up acquiring was three second round draft picks. Uh, George Hill, Jordan Wara in exchange for um, go, basically we took on cap space or we, we used our cap space to acquire these players. And then we ended up waving Goga Bataze, Terry Taylor, and then James Johnson, who eventually comes back to the Pacers, and he's on the team now. Um, so the three second-round picks, like, I don't know. I guess those are kind of nice to have, you know, for future deals um, as just kind of pieces, right? They're just like pawns on the chess, on, the, on a chessboard. It's like you have extra pieces here where you can sweeten a deal a little bit or, or I don't know. I don't know all the values of the second-round picks, but... Um, player wise, we, you know, we, we got rid of Goga, but we had to get rid of Goga and we had to get rid of Terry Taylor. Uh, but we were able to, to get, uh, George Hill who, you know, he's a hometown vet, uh, George Hill, you know, from Indianapolis played at IUPUI, uh, had a great, I mean, probably the golden years of George Hill's career were with the Pacers, you know, back from like, I'm going to throw a number out there as in like maybe like 2010 to 2015 or 16. Um, he was on those Paul George, Hibbert, uh, what was the gold, gold swag or what was it? Blue collar gold swagger. I think that was the, one of the sayings, one of the years of the playoffs, but good, real good Pacers teams. Really the last, the last really good Pacers teams. Uh, George Hill was Paul, part of that era. So he comes back. Um, I thought it was interesting. Kevin Pritchard mentioned in the press conference that they told, you know, George Hill that like, hey, we can, you know, we can like, I, I think it's like buy him out, essentially allowing him to go, you know, go to another team. And he was just like, no, I'm good. Like, I, I want to be here. I want to be part of this team. Um, he was probably excited to come back home. Um, and the thing about George Hill right away is, you know, you can see it when you're the when you're watching the games, like he's, he's coaching guys up all the time, um, during the games, like the first game that he, he was in street clothes. Um, and I remember it was like the first quarter of a, of a game, like the first game that George Hill was on our bench. And I, I remember in the first quarter, I, the, the broadcast caught him, you know, talking to Tyrese and then also talking to Benedict and, um, it sounds like his voice is really respected in the locker room, kind of like the way that James Johnson has been this year. But, um, you know, George Hill maybe is bringing a little bit more. Um, I was just watching yesterday or actually today, but it was from yesterday's game against the Rockets where Carlisle, um, before he had, like he was about to, like the, the title of the video was like Carlisle addresses the team after the Rockets win. But like the first 10 seconds is George Hill talking to the team, basically like, and George Hill didn't play a second of the game, but, you know, he's telling the team like, you know, this is, 
like we got to keep up after it and and you know just basically he he was the voice that was like speaking right before the coach started talking um and I, I was listening to an interview with Tyrese Halliburton and he was talking about you know just how George Hill has been you know just in the short time that they've been together he's like been really impactful uh, as far as like holding holding him accountable and and um yeah just like a really great vet I think George Hill's 36 at the time so um you know I don't I mean I don't know as a player you know his, his best days are certainly behind him but um you know, we it was nice. I think we I think there was certainly value in having like a guy like James Johnson around this year. Um, I don't know who like looking forward. Maybe George Hill is a guy that you bring back for another year, uh, just to kind of be that uh, veteran presence in, in the locker room, um, and just all the ties that he has to to the city and and to the state and to the organization. Um, so that seems to be like what George Hill's role is with the Pacers. Uh, actually, like on the court, though, I think we upgraded with this trade. Um, you know, we got rid of Goga, which Goga was uh, certainly. Yeah, I started podcasting. I started this podcast like I think it. I don't know, maybe four years ago. And I, it would. I started this podcast like right when like Goga was like the first rookie, maybe. Maybe I did it the year before with TJ Leaf. Regardless, I was so excited about Goga Bataze. Um, just because I was um, just super optimistic about this, his story, you know, like he, he comes from Georgia where it's like a war-torn country. He's this big man who's been playing professional basketball for like two or three years prior to entering the NBA. He was young. Um a big man with that kind of touch and just like his ability to block shots. And, um, I was all in on Goga. I thought I bought the Jersey, man. I, that's essentially like drinking the Kool-Aid. Um, so I went back for seconds uh, with Goga Bataze and it just never worked out for Goga with the Pacers. He just was never able to, um, you know, find a consistent role. And there was just, so, but really, if you look at Goga's, time with the Pacers, there's just been so many different eras, coaching staffs, um, and we've always just kind of had a plethora of big men. And so Goga, so losing Goga, you know, on one hand, it hurts a little bit just because of like, I really was hoping that it would work with Goga, um, even if he was just going to be a backup, like our backup five. Uh, but then bringing in you know, it just doesn't work out. I, that, that's basically what happened. Like, he, he's not good enough. Um, you know, we got Miles, we got Ajax, we've got Jalen Smith, and uh, Goga just wasn't wasn't going to get it. So, losing Goga, and, and, and this year, like, he wasn't going to be on the team next year anyway, so that's really not a big deal. Um, it, it's kind of a similar story with Terry Taylor, where it's one of those things where it's like, I loved I love the guy. I wish that I could I wish that he would play more, but it's like if you're not playing, um, you know, unfortunately it's just like how valuable how valuable are you if if you're not playing? And um, so we waved Terry Taylor, we waved Goga Batase to make room for George Hill and Jordan Wara. Um, I was at 
I mentioned I was in Florida for a couple of weeks. I was at my uh, sister-in-law. My sister-in-law got married um, down in Florida, and her husband went to the University of Louisville with and 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 he had a friend there from Louisville uh, at the wedding. And this was this wedding was going on like right during the trade deadline. And I asked the two of them like you know what they thought of Jordan Wara because I don't I didn't watch I haven't I haven't really watched much college over the past few seasons. Um, and they were like, yeah, he's got like, he's like really high and then really low. So they were just saying like, he's really inconsistent. He's a really good scorer. And, and they're looking at it from the college college lens. Um, really good scorer, but inconsistent and um, maybe doesn't do a lot of other things. I was like, okay. And I knew, I knew Jordan Wara because I, I mean, we played the Bucks. He's the guy with the fro. Um, he doesn't get a lot of playing time, but it's like he's on a championship contending team, so you don't really fault the guy. So anyways, there's, I, I, this is where I think we upgraded. I think getting Jordan Wara, uh, I think he's more valuable, and he's probably already proven it in the, I don't know, seven, eight, nine games he's been with the Pacers so far that than what we were getting from Goga and Terry Taylor. And, and he... And he he fits a position that the Pacers are like, just there's nobody there. The only guy that was there that plays that kind of wing slash, you know, p- small ball power forward position would be, um, I mean, Aaron Neesmith has been doing that as like a starter. And then you got Brissett. And then really it's like there was nobody else. And so Jordan Wara plugs in real nicely uh, for this positional need that we have. He's 24 years old. He was in the Halliburton draft, so that 2020 draft. So now we've, we picked up another guy um, along with uh, Jalen Smith, Tyrese Halliburton, um, Aaron Neesmith. Now we, ha- we add Jordan Nora, who was the – I said Nora. It's Wara. The, the N is silent. Um, he was the 45th pick in the draft, Six foot eight, small forward, 24 years old, um, over the last seven games for the Pacers, like he's done a lot of really nice things, and he started twice. He's uh, if you look at the last seven games that he's played for the Pacers, he's been getting about twenty three minutes a night. So he's playing half the game. He's he's in a reserve role for the most part. He has had two starts, um, but he's averaging thirteen points, four rebounds, two and a half assists. He's doing it on about fifty three percent shooting from the field. Um, over these seven games, he's knocked down 12 three-pointers. It looks legit. Like his shot looks, it looks reliable. Um, you know, while knocking down 12 threes, he's doing it at a clip of 38%. Uh, so that's definitely respectable. You can roll, you could, you can live with 38% for sure. Um, he's been nice. He's done his, like his finishing ability has been, uh, has been surprising to me. The game last night against the Rockets, he had, he had some runners in the lane. Um, his ability to finish around the basket. He seems, he seems to kind of just be in the right spots so far. Um, you know, he does not impress in the like athleticism department. Um, like he, I've seen him dunk like three or four times and, and each one of those dunks feel like he might get, you know, Sprite commercialed, which I think that's the right reference. I think it was Sprite commercial where it's like you jump up 
and you try to dunk it, but you just, you know, you, you get blocked by the rim. I mean, nor, nor it's it's so hard because the in is like right there, but Rora, um, he does not have a lot of lift. But who can, I mean, it's like, whatever, that's just not as, like, I don't either. So I'm not blaming the guy. He's freaking awesome at basketball. Um, but that's just not his strength. Athleticism is not his strength. But he seems to be able to, um, like, his his go-to is certainly scoring. So, like, when I'm I'm thinking about, all right, what do we what do we have here? Like, is this somebody that might be something for us next year and, and, and potentially, you know, years ahead? It's like. He would be really good, um, you know, kind of being like, a, I, in my opinion right now, just like a scoring punch off the bench in that power forward, small forward position with very little flaws. Like, that's the thing about his game. Like, um, he doesn't really wow you in a lot of areas, but he doesn't disappoint you in a lot of areas. I mean, he's, you know, he's, he's coming up with rebounds. He's, he's finding open guys. And, and, and most importantly, I think for him, and his strength is he's he's scoring the basketball. It's like I would have if if you made me choose between Jordan Wara and Chris Duarte right now, I'd have to think about it. Um, I'd, I'd really have to think about it. And uh, that's actually a really good question. Like I don't I don't know who I would keep. I I would I, I think man. I'm just gonna let that one sit there because I don't know. I don't know who I would actually take for sure. Like I, I think I would take Duarte still, but what have you done for me lately? It's like Wara has been has been has been better, I would say. And 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 his size and the and the need that we have at that position makes me feel like he might he might actually be the answer. Um. So yeah, that's that's kind of what I think about war. I, so ultimately, I think that was a really good trade for the Pacers to essentially, you know, to pick up three second round picks, to pick up a potential um, locker room vet, hometown hero, franchise. Uh, you know, I wouldn't call George Hill a cornerstone of the franchise, but you know, he was he was a big piece of a, a really good era of Pacer basketball. Um, Andy plays point guard. Uh, you know, we, with, with that to back up like Tyrese, who, who is our franchise player currently, um, and you give up two guys that, that probably weren't going to be on the team next year anyway. So I think it was a it was a um, it was an uneventful trade deadline, but it, but it, we I, I like the fact that we didn't we didn't overswing for something and, and like um, push our chips too far. We held everything close. We got rid of not much. We brought back a little bit more. Um, so it's a certainly, I would call it a patient um, trade deadline for the Pacers. Um, you know, quick quick note, Goga, you know, we waved Goga. He did end up getting picked up by the Magic, uh, who we played like two or three games after the trade deadline. And um, <laughs> it was like, it was interesting because I don't, think Ty, like Tyrese was yelling at Goga during the uh, during that game and uh, basically just lighting him up um, I don't know if it was like a friendly thing or if it was just like I don't I'm glad you're not on our team right now and I'm torching you um, and then Terry Taylor you know we waved him he ended up getting picked up by the Bulls 
both Taylor and Goga, they're, they're really not playing much. I checked their uh, basketball reference pages before I recorded this podcast, and it's like they, neither one of them are really getting any – they're not getting anything consistent, mostly DNPs. Um, so, yeah, based, just trade value or trade deadline, I would overall – I'd just give it like a B- as, as my grade. Like we may have missed an opportunity. Like because we have a logjam at guards, like we have Halliburton, Nimhard, McConnell – now George Hill, Buddy Heald, Mathrin, Duarte. Like, I, I really like. Maybe we could have moved Buddy, which I don't. I know, like, Buddy's been great. Maybe we could have moved Duarte, but like, maybe there also there wasn't any value there for those players at this time, so they just decided to sit sit tight, or maybe they didn't make the calls. Um, I don't know. But uh, that's why I give it a B minus. Like I, I would have loved to see us maybe make a move to thin out that guard rotation, add a little bit more value, rather that be a future pick or a player that we could see logging at least rotational minutes at a different position, um, or like potentially doing that at least. But we didn't make it. We didn't do that. So, but we also didn't do anything bad. Like there was it wasn't we didn't trade for. Um, I'm just going to use John Collins as an example. Bring John Collins on and, and give up like three first round picks. Um, you know, we didn't shoot ourselves in the foot by any means. We just we just stayed the course, um, wrote it out with who we currently have, and, and then we're just going to see. So, an, an underwhelming trade deadline, um, but I will take underwhelming over, you know, a, 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 a too aggressive type trade deadline move. Um, okay. I want to talk about... The, 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 the Now it's like the most... Over the last month, I, I mentioned when I, the last episode I recorded, it was right before Tyrese came back from his injury. And if we rewind a little bit further than that, it was like the Pacers were the... The Pacers were the... The Utah Jazz of the Eastern Conference, the team that wasn't supposed to be there, that was there. You know, we were in the playoffs. Um, we were playing great, overachieving. Tyrese goes down. Um, off the top of my head, he maybe misses 10, 12, 14 games or so. And the Pacers sink like a rock. I mean, we might have won two games, you know, without Tyrese. And then... Um, in a way, it was nice because it was like, okay, this is actually kind of where, like, we want to get a probably we probably want to get a better draft pick here. Uh, we, we we certainly weren't. I don't think we were equipped to compete in the playoffs yet, uh, but it's hard to argue against winning. Um, and so and and so, Tyrese was Tyrese was awesome to start the season. He goes down. He proved it. Like his absence really highlights how awesome he has been for this team. Then he comes back, and, and now it's been about a month with Tyrese back. And, and the thing that I want to talk about right now is just like, not only is Halliburton an all-star, this guy is our franchise superstar. He just turned 23. Like, he's got a leap year birthday, February 29th. Um, so he just turned 23 years old. He's, I mean, he's not even... He's not even, we still got a season or two before we even start talking about the prime of this guy's career. And the all-star game, to me, was just like, 
I think a huge validation moment for Tyrese and the work that he puts in and the, um, I don't know, I guess maybe just the, the aura of confidence that it takes for a player like that to, 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 to play like an all-star, to be the main guy on a team. I, I, for him to make the all-star team the first year, like the first full year with the keys to this franchise, it's just really impressive um, for, for somebody this young at a position that tough. Um, yeah, and you just like right when Tyrese came back from his injury even, like you could just tell everything changed. Like that Lakers game was just way different than all the previous games without Tyrese. Um, there was a quote I wrote down in that in that Lakers game, Quinn Buckner, he said... He said, I see you when you don't think I do. And he was referring to Tyrese Halliburton because he was just cutting him up. Like in that in that game against the Lakers, Tyrese, you know, he scored 26 points. He had 12 assists. He shot the ball 24 times. 13 of them were for, from three. So he came out guns a-blazing um, after missing all that time with injury. Um, but just like those 12 assists and just um, – he does. He sees you when you don't think he does. Like he – He's a wizard with the basketball and finding open teammates. Pa- he passes guys open. He reads the game so well. Um, you know, it's, I mean, it's similar. I've made this comparison before, and it's kind of actually, it seems more true now, where it's like you make that football comparison to Tyrese being the quarterback. And as, you know, if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably familiar with Indiana sports, and you're, you're thinking football, you think Pacers or um Colts quarterbacks, it's like Peyton Manning, man. That's what we, that's what everybody talked about was like his, it's like, yes, he had a good arm. Um, you know, he, it was laughable how unathletic he was. Like he never would run the ball or anything, but like Peyton's superstar strength was just like his, his cerebral attack of the opposing team's defense. And, and if you, like to me, it seems like Halliburton kind of does the same thing on the basketball court. Like he just has a way of just getting space for himself and for his teammates. Like he'll just like he'll just do like a like he'll like be coming up the court. He'll hit the three point line and maybe just like bring the ball around his back once. Just enough time to kind of let the defense like sh- overshift a little bit to then like whip it back the other way to somebody who's like cutting down the lane just all these different things that he does out there that you just don't really see players do. It's like, that's what makes this guy super special. And that's why he, like, there was a, at the beginning of the season, I, in my head, I thought maybe, like, maybe Halliburton is just going to be, like, I I still, I I had expectations and hopes that he would be an all-star. But I also had expectations and hope that, that Matherin would be, an all-star and essentially like there was room in my head for Matherin to ascend over Halliburton and kind of be the number one option and Tyrese kind of be like the number two and that maybe maybe Matherin is like the alpha on this team he is like the franchise player and you know you can have two I mean like what would you say with like the Lakers right now they've got LeBron they've got AD you know um I don't know. I'm just thinking like, but, but basically like, I don't feel that way. Like Halliburton has been so damn good this year. 
as good as Matherin has been and as promising as I I believe, like I, I believe in Matherin, and that could still happen, but I just feel like less likely that that'll happen. And 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 just like Halliburton has just been so good. He's just been so good. And and since the All-Star break, it's almost like when he made that All-Star game, when he went into that locker room and looked around at his teammates, he got picked by LeBron. And I've, I've seen him in, or he's talked about this in lots of interviews, just like he's like a LeBron guy. You know, he loves LeBron. Um, LeBron picked him on the on to be on his team. And it's like Tyrese came back from the All-Star break and the dude has been, you know, I, I he's been fucking incredible. Like, he's been incredible. Like, look at these numbers. So six games that Tyrese has played since the All-Star break, he's averaging 28 points, 13 assists. 28 and 13. It's like he's responsible for, like, okay, it's 28 points and then 13 times... Two is 26, so at a minimum, that's 54 points, but you got to think he's passing it off to some three-pointers. So it's like he's probably been responsible for like 60 to 70 points a game like since the All-Star break for the Pacers. Um, and he's doing it on 55% shooting, 43% from three, 87% from the free-throw line. Um He's got a little bit of an uptick in his minutes. He's he's up, I mean, in these games. Now, we did have an overtime game last night against the Rockets. And then there was also an overtime game against the Celtics in there. So I didn't think about that when I wrote that down. So maybe it's more like 34, but he's actually averaging 36 minutes a night in this stretch. The Pacers are 4-2. and two, And when Tyrese has played, we did, like he missed a game in this span since the All-Star break against San Antonio. And the Pacers laid an egg. And got beat in San Antonio. Um, but yeah, so we're four and two. The two losses came overtime to Boston and then to Philly. And just like, so those are two two losses that you can live with. And especially the way that the Pacers competed in those games. I mean, taking the Celtics to overtime, the game against the 76ers came right down to the wire. Um, and Tyrese was just fabulous in, in both of those games. It's like he it's like he just hit another level since the All-Star game. Um we'll see if it if it carries on through the rest of the season. I would I'm anticipating it too because the dude is just like locked in right now. And um just like his mentality, the toughness he's playing with right now, the swagger um in the Celtics game, which was the first game after the All-Star break, he got in like I I don't know if I've ever really seen Tyrese uh, get into like an, a yelling match with opposing players. And he was, he was getting into it with Marcus Smart. Uh, the next game against the Orlando Magic. Orlando, you know, they have, they've got, uh, they're, they're actually, they're, they're worst team record-wise than the Pacers. And so like their crowd's not that loud, but the broadcast picked up like, Tyrese was just like really loud during the game. Like he was yelling, and one, like he can't guard me you know, this and that. He was yelling at Gogo Bataze, just like this swagger and toughness and kind of just like in your face mentality that he was playing with, that he has been playing with has just been, I, I, to me, it feels slightly different than what we were getting, you know, prior to the All-Star game. And I just wonder how much, you know, validation that that and confidence and just kind of like really 
more, more, not like validation in the sense like, ah, I made it, but more like, I got to keep going. Cause like, I'm almost here. Like I can smell it. Like he can, he's starting to sniff around at all NBA. Like it's probably not going to happen this year. I mean, his numbers are ridiculous, but it probably won't happen just because the Pacers are not winning that many games, but he's probably, he's hung, he's hungry for that. Um, and I was listening to like one of the post post game press conferences, and this is where it's like, I it's hard to root against it's hard to root against the Pacers to win because it's like Tyrese is saying, you know, we're 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 ready to make a push. We want it's important for us to get into the playoffs. Um, and that just you know that just opens up this can of worms where it's like from the outside as a Pacers fan. And someone who's looking ahead like next year and the year before next, like the next like three to five years, it's like, obviously, right, like right now the Pacers are, are um, they've, they've got the sixth, they're the sixth worst team in the league, like record wise. Um, let's see. Yeah, that, yeah, I just checked that today. So they're the sixth worst, worst team record wise. We're three games ahead of the fifth place team. So it's like, there's probably not a good there's not a good chance that we're going to move up into like the fifth best odds in the lottery. So right now we're currently sitting at sixth. Um, however, we're if we're two and a half games ahead of the 14th worst team. So I know it's, it's like if you can imagine we're three games behind the fifth place. Well, we're two and a half games ahead of the 14th. So like if we are winning games down the stretch. Like we could easily slide all the way back to like 14th, which is technically still a lottery pick. But, you know, we, we got we got Benedict Matherin with the sixth pick. And I don't know who went 14th this year, but it was just kind of maybe like you're talking like Jalen Duran range or um, who else was in there? I don't know. Maybe like no. Sohan was like 10th. I don't know. Point being, it's like as a, from my perspective, I would rather see this team end up getting that sixth pick again going into this year. And then let's just say, you know, like wipe your hands clean of the draft. We no longer want lottery picks from this point forward. We picked up another, you know, potential um, all-star, honestly. Like like we want a, somebody who has the, I would say Matherin has the potential to be an all-star. So it's like we, let's, let's, we're here. Let's, we, we did it. We were patient at the trade deadline. Let's be patient. A little bit longer and just know that this 2023 draft with our own first pick, you know, can be a very, very valuable uh, piece of our team moving forward. Um, and you would rather that be the sixth worst record rather than the 14th, you know. Um, but at the same time, you got your franchise player playing like an all NBA player and. Um, putting up ridiculous numbers, winning games, hitting buzzer beaters, and talking like, you know, we want to make the playoffs. So it's, I'm just, personally, I'm torn. I, I don't know, um, I don't know what to root for. So what ends up happening as I'm watching these games is I don't necessarily, I'm rooting for the Pacers the whole way. It's like the game against, the, against Houston last night. It's like, I wanted the Pacers to win. But then there was always this like little voice in my head that was just like, Hey, if the Rockets win, like whatever, it's all good, you know. So like the the, the losses to to Philly and Boston, they weren't hard losses. I wasn't like upset. I enjoyed the game. Um, 
So anyways, that's just kind of where we're at. Tyrese is just playing so good. I, I just feel like he's hit another level, um, you know, since the return from his injury, but especially since the All-Star break. So looking out, you know, we've got 15 games left. And there's some, there's some uh, three, four, five, six, seven. I would say on paper, you know, we've got eight very winnable games, three of them coming up against the Detroit Pistons who are, uh, you know, uh, one of the worst teams in the league. And then we've got the Hornets, who are bad. OKC is seems like they're losing every game currently. Uh, the Hawks, Toronto, Dallas, those are like borderline playoff teams. But at the same time, you know, the way Tyrese is playing, and if, we're, if we continue to throttle for a playoff, like a play-in type uh, position, those are winnable games. And then we do have some games against like the top teams in the league. Two more against Milwaukee, Cleveland, Boston, two more against the Knicks, and then one game against Denver. So, you know, there's 15 games left in the season. I wouldn't be surprised to see the Pacers kind of finish out, you know, about 500, honestly, the rest of the way. Um, and that might be enough to end up being in the play-in. And, and I guess... You know, I'll be doing podcasts at that point and I'll probably be I'll be excited about, you know, the team and winning and, and just getting that experience. You know, and I don't it's like just because you get a bat, just because you if you get a higher draft pick. Yes, it's nice because you have a much better chance of landing on like a, a really high end player, but there are no guarantees. Um, whereas if we're winning games and and. The, the roster that we currently have set, like we, we, we have enough young pieces. We have flexibility as a team. I, like I'm speaking out of both sides of my mouth because I, I would prefer to get the draft pick this year and then be done with losing, <laughs> you know, from then on out, like no more of this wishy-washy stuff. But um, I don't know. We'll just have, we'll just have to see what, how the, how the rest of the season plays out. But I think that if the Pacers, you know, the front office, if, if Kevin Pritchard, if the ownership, if, if they've got their mind kind of set on, you know, getting a higher draft pick, you might have to sit Halliburton because the dude is on fire. And um, I, I think we're going to I think we're going to be winning games with him playing this way. And, and that's that's great news. That's better than you can than you could have asked for, because there were question marks going into, coming into the season. Like how good of a guy is he? Is can is he good enough to be a number one? Um, and he's 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 playing like that for sure. Um, okay, that's Tyrese, man. Tyrese is awesome. Next guy, Miles Turner. I uh, last episode, you know, right after he got signed to the extension, I I I pled to get back on the Miles Turner bandwagon, and um, it's been good. Miles has been playing awesome. The first uh, three games after the All-Star break, he shot the ball like he was literally scorching. His hands were fire. Um, the first three games since the All-Star break, we had Boston, Orlando, and Dallas, where we went 2-1 and one in those games. Miles averaged 29 points, 8 rebounds on 72% shooting from the field, 69% shooting from 3, 82% shooting from the free throw line. Against that game against the uh, the Boston Celtics, he had 40 points with eight three pointers. It's like what? What? 
Um, so I mentioned, yeah, so these first three games, right, Boston, Orlando, Dallas, I was watching the press conference post-Dallas game, and Miles has just been, he, he was torching all three of those games, and Halliburton was being interviewed, and he said, for the first time, Miles got on me to get him the ball. I like that. And um, so, Miles, you know, he was still on his hot streak, and he was, he got, I love the fact that he got on Tyrese, like, get me the ball, because he was cooking. And um, this whole season just feels like Miles is, he's just being better utilized, and he's, he's been way more consistent. He's just performed, he's performed at a level that we just, we haven't seen from him so far. And he's just having a great season. Um, the extension is looking like, um, I don't know, it's just looking like a great, great move by the organization. To me, the things that stand out, like, big time for Miles this year compared to previous years, I don't remember ever seeing Miles Turner dunk the basketball this often or this hard. He, it seems like every game he's getting one or two just like, he's dunking on guys I think a lot of it is because he's catching stuff on the fast break a little bit like or he'll be like trailing and Tyrese will kind of look everybody off and find miles coming down the lane and so he's got like a head of steam and he's just going up and pounding that basketball um, it's been real nice seeing miles last night against Houston he had a he had an and one dunk one-handed slam you know he got knocked over um, it, but it was obviously a foul just he, he's just he's just being he's been very aggressive and, and it's really nice to see um, and then just his post game has been awesome he you can just I feel like you know in previous seasons he catches the ball in the post and he's he's it's almost like a hot potato for him it's like he's either gonna put something up pretty quick or, or pass it back out this year it really feels like he's 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 analyzing the situation He's taking his time, and he's converting. Like, I, I would, I would love to see like what his, uh, you know, field goal percentage is, you know, in post up situations because it feels like he's cooking his guy every time. Um, and then lastly, just like the three point shooting has just been phenomenal. I mean, he's averaging or he's currently shooting thirty eight and a half percent from three. The rebounding's been much better. It's still a weakness of the team. And, uh, you know, but Miles is just, he's never been that guy that's going to go out and get you, you know, 10 boards a night. He's, he's always kind of been in that 6-7 range. And I do feel like he's, he's done a, a better job this year. And, um, you know, speaking on the rebounds, it's like that is something where I think with this upcoming draft or potentially free agency or trade, um, you know, we need, we, need to, we need to do something different with our with our with our four position next to miles i think we need a we need a bigger stronger body um that can really kind of go get it on the on the rebounds um you know like a, a 10 plus like almost the way the sabonis used to rebound the basketball um but i don't know we'll see um i do have to like unfortunately and this is something that you know was really really evident uh, for Miles Turner in previous seasons, when he goes up against these big, big, big guys in the NBA, like um, Andre Drummond is the first one that I think of. I just remember Drummond used to cook Turner for, for like, I mean, Drummond would come in and put up 20-20 nights every time he played the Pacers. Um, 
it was kind of a it was kind of a deja vu to those terrible times in this last game against Philly. And, and you know, it's like if we're projecting, it's like Embiid's Embiid's going to be around. And um, Turner really struggled. He uh, he ended up fouling out of the game with 17 minutes. He picked up two quick fouls, you know, probably within the first three or four minutes of the game. So he went to the bench, and it just felt like he never got quite into a rhythm. Embiid just owned that matchup, like, big time. Um, so, I don't know. I mean, I, it's like, you know, maybe there's still hope there that, that Turner can have. Like, if we were in a series against the 76ers, like, maybe Turner doesn't doesn't play that poorly in all the matchups. Um, but at the same time, it, it, it doesn't feel good, you know, knowing that he, he gets bullied around like that with some of those really big dudes that just, that just overpower him. Uh, I mean, because, you know, a lot of times Turner is one of the, I mean, he's obviously one of the bigger guys out there all, every night, but like uh, the, uh, the opposing team center isn't necessarily physically imposing against Turner, but the, the guys that do, he really does seem to struggle against that, that type of matchup. Um, but I don't know. He does so, he's so good in other areas and it's like, you can't have, you can't have everything. So you, you take what you got. Um, I want to hit on, I'm going to wrap this up pretty quick. I, I but I, I want to talk about Benedict, um, you know, unfortunately he went down last night with a, with an injury. He, this is the first, well, this is going to be the, he played in the game obviously to get injured and he hadn't missed a game up to that point, he had a right ankle sprain. It looked really bad um, on the broadcast. Like you just, it's just really hard to see people's ankles roll that way. Um, he got carried off the court by James Johnson and George Hill. And the new, the, the most recent news I heard is that he's just not going to play. And we got two games against Detroit uh, tomorrow and then Monday. Um, and so he's not he's not planning to play in those two games. I don't know what's going to come after that. But like in this span since the last time I had a podcast, like there have been some highlights against the Lakers. There, like he had a bad game overall, um, but there was a play I remember. It, like Anthony Davis was switched out on a Matherin on the perimeter. He kind of did like a combo dribble move, brought it back out, knocked down a three over Anthony Davis. I thought that was noteworthy. Anthony Davis, even though he's, you know, not quite like the same AD from like four years ago athletically, he's still one of the best defenders in the league. And to knock, knock down a, a, a deep three and, and the confidence to take the shot and to knock it down, I just thought that was that was a huge play for... I, I love seeing that one. Um, that game against the Celtics, I mentioned, Ty, you know, Tyrese got into it with Marcus Smart. Well, there was a play where Matherin and Jason Tatum... They got tied up on the floor. It was a jump ball, but like it was one of those things where like the ref blew the whistle, said jump ball. And then, you know, 10 seconds later, they're still on the ground. Both guys holding the ball. Tatum ended up coming up with the ball in his hands. But Matherin was, you know, he was in it and and he was fighting. And I thought that game against the Celtics was like, I would I I I've, you know I love seeing Matherin put up thirty points, uh, but that game against the Celtics where he uh, he ended up with like nineteen points, seven rebounds, four assists, two steals, 
He only had one turnover. That was the kind of, that would be like the blueprint that I would like to see him, you know, build off of. More of a balanced game. I felt like he really brought it on both ends. He, he just seemed to be really into that game. Um, to the point that in overtime, he, he got called for a foul. He was in foul trouble. I think he, yeah. So he fouled out and he was, and he got, he got called for his sixth foul, um, fouling a jump shooter. I think it was a three pointer and he was just in complete disbelief and kind of like charged at the ref that made the call to the point that he got hit with a technical and like as the ref was like teching him up, Matherin was like almost like very apologetic, like, I'm so sorry that I just like lost my cool. Um, anyways, it, to me, that just shows like the intensity that he was playing with in that game. And um, and that's kind of like what I feel he doesn't bring on a regular basis. He always seems to be involved, always seems to like he always seems intense about his own offensive game like he's certain like he comes into the game and he's looking to score the basketball but just like I don't know I feel like often I'm I'm watching his body language and it just it just feels it doesn't feel like somebody who is bought 100% into like the team and doing what's best for the team um he just has he just has poor body language I would say recently it's kind of been like more often than not like he, he he's kind of get, I mean I wouldn't say he's given up on a three-point shot but he's shooting less threes I think I didn't look this up but it feels like he's shooting less three-pointers and he's just taking the ball to the hoop almost always which is his probably is which currently has been his best strength this season which I so I understand but you know, when he doesn't get a call, he he's he his, he's moping. He's moping around. He's looking at the refs. He's not hustling back on defense. He's dropping his head. Um, and I think that's it's just like the messaging that that gives. I, I, I'm sure Carlisle doesn't appreciate that. Um, it, he just his body language and some of the stuff he does on the court feels like he is a uh, you know, maybe tends to be a little bit on the selfish side as a basketball player. Um, now, it's a fine line because it's like his best strength is getting buckets. So he's doing what he can. Um, but it's just kind of, it. this has kind of been the first like struggle. And the last episode I recorded was when Halliburton was out, that, you know, he was just about to come back and Matherin was tearing it up. He was having, he was like on the best streak of his career of the season and the last 14 games without Halliburton it's kind of been the opposite from from Matherin he's taken a dip so stat wise compared the last 14 games since Halliburton returned from his injury versus the first 52 games of the season Matherin's averaging 13 points compared to 18 he's getting to the free throw line 3.6 times compared to 6.4 he's only putting up 10 shots a night compared to 13 his minutes are to 26 compared to 18. Um, so for me, it's like my goals for Benedict Matherin, first of all, he's a rookie. He's done way more as a rookie than I could have could have dreamed of. Um, 
He's shown flashes of, of being damn near unstoppable on the offensive end. He's also shown flashes going back to the Boston game where it's like, this dude is a two, can be a two-way stud. Like he, he can play. He was checking, you know, Tatum often in that game against the Celtics. Um, but my goal is for Matherin to, to kind of to wrap up this season and moving forward is just to see more engagement from him um, during the games besides just being so wrapped up in his own offense. Like, like pick your pick your teammates up, like celebrate them, um, find your teammates, um, really hustle. Like, let's like let's see it on the defensive end. Focus on defensive improvement and just like finding a better balance between getting your own and getting better and getting good shots for your teammates. So just maturity and growth as like an overall package because he's he's got like some skills that are just out of this world. So we don't want to lose that. But um, there's definitely room to improve for 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 Matherin and I, and I'm I think he will. Um, we'll do that. I, uh, I still love Matherin and, uh, root for him so much. So, so much. Um, yeah, I think, I think I'm going to wrap it up right there for tonight. Um, we'll see what happens moving forward. Next five games for the pace for the Pacers is, um, two games at Detroit, a game at Milwaukee, Home again for the 76ers and then at Charlotte. So two Detroit, one Charlotte, and then uh, two Eastern Conference contenders with Milwaukee and, and Philly. You could easily see the Pacers going three and two or four and one in this stretch. Um, I don't know. We'll just have to see how this thing plays out. I believe that uh, it's not a good thing to root for losses, so I will continue to root for wins. And um, let the chips fall where will they where they may because you can find good talent in the with with a with the thirteenth fourteenth pick in the draft. Um, I think it's important for this team to, to win games, and at the same time, I'm fine if they lose. So uh, so we'll see. That is all for this uh, for this episode. Thank you guys for checking out the pod and. Um, Hope you were all doing well and and, uh, yeah, thank you. Appreciate you. Peace and love.